The lunch break sessions are held on the last Tuesday of each month. They're over the noon hour always, and for now they're available only through the Zoom video conferencing platform. But all of our sessions are being posted on the YouTube channel as soon as they're launched. To join the mailing list, if you don't already get regular emails about what sessions are coming up, you can reach out to Brittany at outreach at ctcns.com, and her email is posted there on the page. This is our July 2020 technical session, and we'll be covering the basics of shearing balsam fir for Christmas tree production. Shearing Christmas trees is a common practice that has resulted in dense, high-quality trees that consumers have become accustomed to now. Growers shear trees to improve the quality, to meet consumer preferences, as well as to improve the quantity of saleable trees. Shearing offers control over the shape of the tree and will incur lateral growth, which is what gives that thick, fluffy appearance. Shearing also allows the grower to fix problem in, problems in trees and ultimately to reduce the number of trees that need to be called in a given year or that won't meet the grade. Consumer preferences for a denser tree have resulted in the development of grading systems. A tree's value as a product is measured mainly by its grade. So the goal of any grower is to produce a tree that will meet the grade or is high quality, expected by the consumer. That grade is usually a uniform tree that is symmetrical, has good density, has good quality foliage, and has minimal damage or defects. To introduce the concept of shearing, it's important to recognize grades of trees because that's going to be your visual when you're out in the lot doing the actual shearing. Just for fun, if you're familiar with the grading system and you have one in mind, type in the chat box what you would grade that tree displayed on the screen, assuming it looked the same on all four faces, just for fun. We will have a full course launched on Christmas tree grading, but for the purposes of this presentation, I'm just going to do a quick review of the grades quickly as a bit of a refresher. All right, so I asked you to type in the chat box to help me illustrate this point. In Nova Scotia, there's five different grading systems on the go. So asking any different grower to grade the same tree can come up with different answers. This chart shows you where each grading system lines up. In the green are the grading standards, and the moving to the right is the term that's used for the best tree, then the better tree, and finally, the good tree. Everything else is considered a call. So any tree that you plan to grow for export or for retail sale will need to fall somewhere within these guidelines or this chart, unless you have a market for Charlie Brown Christmas trees. For consistency, I'm going to continue and review the USDA standards. According to the United States Department of Agriculture, all saleable Christmas trees must have characteristics typical of the species. And we'll get into that in slightly more detail shortly, but obviously we're focusing on balsam fir. They must be butt trimmed, have a normal taper, be fresh and reasonably clean, healthy, be well shaped and have minimal defects. Anything more than that will determine whether it's a premium quality tree, a number one tree or a number two tree. The premium tree, which is the most valuable, will have a heavy density, which means that more than 80% of the stem is covered by foliage or not visible. That one's for balsam fir. They will also have at least three faces without any defects on them. Both of these qualities can be accomplished or improved by proper shearing. So assuming this tree that I showed you earlier doesn't have a defect on more than one other face, it would be graded as a premium by the US standards, mainly because it has such heavy density. So you can see in that tree, and it's the one in the center there in that larger picture, definitely more than 80% of the stem is covered by foliage. The characteristics of balsam fir, as according to US standards, that need to be achieved to meet this grade are short needles, crossed twigs, round buds, upright cones with bracts, and the characteristic balsam scent of Christmas. Assuming you're showing up with a balsam fir tree, 
you'll inevitably likely meet those standard characteristics. But the standards also talk about taper, which is a complement to fur's tendency to grow in a cone shape, as well as a grower's commitment to shearing a clean taper line. The taper, judged by the ratio of the width of the tree when compared to its height at the apex, is displayed here. So a 40% taper, which is here on the left-hand side, for example, that represents a narrower tree with a consistent cone shape, while a wider tree would have a greater taper. So you can see the example on the right-hand side there of a tree with 100% taper. So it's as wide as it is tall. The standards also mention defects. So these are the main ones that would cause a tree to miss the grade with an exceptional example on the right-hand side there. So they include uneven density, stem curvature, pest or physical damage, obviously, any present form material so the tree is not clean, having multiple stems, which is different than multiple liters, but that would also be considered a defect, having curled needles for a variety of reasons, or having weak lower whorls. So here's an example of some of those significant defects. The label on this picture, there's multiple leaders at the top there, and I'm just heading down. Then multiple stems, a shelf or a decided gap, that's what that DG stands for. Main stem curvature, which is an excess of six inches, long branches, an incomplete whorl, and a very barren lower whorl, as well as a poorly trimmed butt. All of which could have been corrected to some degree by shearing. This is a full list of defects for your reference, and we'll come back to some of these when we talk about how to do corrective shearing. The last part on the grading pressure that I really want to touch on is density. So the density of the tree, which is one of your main factors determining the grade, is made up of a number of components, of which many can be influenced by shearing technique and consistency. These components would include whorl makeup, the distance between the whorls, the branch arrangement, the branch angle, internodal budding, needle characteristics, and of course your species characteristics. So when you're starting to shear, you're going to need to make decisions about individual trees, but you'll need to do it on a lot scale. So on an individual basis, what we're trying to accomplish with our shearing is treating injury, increasing lateral growth, getting denser foliage, getting a good taper, and ultimately reaching a higher grade. But when you think about that on the lot scale, we're trying to ultimately increase the grade of the average tree on the lot without increasing our time and effort to a point where it outweighs the value of the end product. So the point here that I'm trying to make is that it's not going to be practical or economical to try to make every tree fit that premium grade, especially if it's going to take you several extra hours per tree to raise the value by just a couple of dollars. That's why decisions on an individual tree need to be made with the scale of the lot in mind. So I call that scaling the lot. In the first year of a tree's shearing life cycle, the goal is simply to start shaping a taper by creating the shear line. Then every year after that, you're going to encourage growth for better density. Your shearing should start when trees are about four feet high. The best time to shear is when trees are soft, shoot elongation is done, but buds are still actively growing. In Nova Scotia, that usually begins about mid-July and can continue through mid to the end of August. The second best time year if you miss that nice summer window is in the fall, followed by the spring if absolutely necessary. 
But keep in mind, the most nutrients are present in the tree during the summertime. So in the spring, you're not going to have as much nutrients available to those new buds and growth will not be as significant. Now we're going to get into corrective shearing. Corrective shearing can be very effective in altering trees. However, with all decisions, time is money, and if the tree requires significant input to produce a certain grade, then it's likely more practical to call it at a younger age. As far as corrective shearing goes, now we're going to break it down into some specific issues to address. Uneven density being the first. Uneven density is usually the result of a problem at the top. Therefore, it can often be corrected by returning balance to the taper. Open areas can usually be corrected by consistent annual shearing as well. Uneven symmetry is usually due to competition in stands. The wider side of the tree with uneven symmetry should be sheared heavily after minimal shearing on the lighter side so that it will still get some growth. This will allow consistent growth across the tree. It might even be necessary to shear over several years to avoid excessive shearing in one season, resulting in shoot loss. Buds will be formed mostly on the lateral branch growth, so keep some new growth on all the branches, which is what's going to give you that consistent growth across the tree. You don't want to take the risk of cutting off too much and not seeing any growth. It might even be necessary to use hand cutters instead of shears, as it'll be easier to shape longer branches on your wide side. Another problem is open density. It will appear as kind of spaced out whorls, a visible stem, and usually generally light foliage around it. It's often present in natural stands of older trees that haven't been subject to annual shearing. So if you're taking over a new lot, for example, and there's already five to six foot trees on it that obviously haven't been sheared annually, this is a method that you need to use to address that. So to correct this, you need to develop a shear line or reestablish a shear line if there was one pre-existing. That might include tipping internodal branches, trimming some of the longer branches off the edges, and likely you'll need to trim the leader to about six inches to encourage lateral growth. A gooseneck is often a result of damage or stress, and what happens is it causes a lack of internodal growth, resulting in this visible stem between whorls or a gooseneck. Anything less than about 10 inches can sometimes be corrected by shearing, but any gooseneck greater than that usually means you might as well call your tree. The stem will need to be cut to remove the bare section if you're trying to replace a gooseneck. If the gooseneck is on the leader, make sure you're cutting below the node when removing it to promote internodal replacement. New shoot growth from the node should provide a replacement leader, but it might take a couple of years to get that stability happening. This method can be used on a two-year-old stem as well, if it was missed in the previous year, for example. A negative aspect of shearing is that sometimes atypical lateral branches will develop. These are more commonly known as horns. Branches on young fir usually grow outwards at a 50 or greater degree angle to the stem, but sometimes shoots can become disoriented and they'll start to grow in the re reverse direction and ultimately they'll grow straight up, they'll grow vertically. These horns need to be removed when they're first observed because otherwise they'll present and I, an unsightly part of your tree. Trouble at the top, bud failure resulting in leader loss is really common in young trees, and sometimes it'll be followed by abnormal development of top branches. The subterminal shoots may turn upward and compete for dominance as a leader. If you leave them, you'll get multiple stems developing. So you should select the world shoot that has the strongest vertical orientation that's growing the straightest and leave that one to be the leader replacement. Usually you'll need to reduce the remaining lengths by 
25 to 50% so that they won't compete with your new leader. Leader failure can also stimulate latent nodal buds to maturity, producing vertical oriented shoots the next year. If there's no upturning of that lateral branch, a single leader can be selected for new growth. And then finally, as far as corrective pruning goes, we're going to talk about early corrective pruning. Seedlings can develop deformities too, and they can be detrimental if they're left to the life of the tree and pretty much can be detrimental to the quality. Most common defects that you see here are multiple tops and double stems. Usually identification and promotion of the best leader will solve this issue early on. Butt pruning. This is done to establish a handle for the tree as well as a strong bottom whorl. It involves removing the branches closest to the ground. Depending on the grower you ask though, this practice is variable in commonality and it does have some advantages as well as disadvantages. Pruning will encourage air circulation, which reduces fungal infections like needle casts, but leaving branches will encourage shade and hold moisture for seedlings. In some cases, branches may need to be removed to allow space for emerging seedlings coming up under trees, or they may want to be left to allow shade to protect those seedlings from hot sun and advanced droughts. That one's a bit of a personal preference and we'll get into it in our discussion. Finally, I wanna get into some techniques. So these are the top five technique suggestions from our Atlantic Growers Manual. The first one is move around the tree while you're shearing. Work from top to bottom, orient it with the tree at your side. An even cone-shaped tree can be developed more easily from this position as opposed to from face on. The next one, both head shears and shearing knives can be used. You can have a variety of tools to help you with this. There's less danger of injury with two-handled shears, but when you're using shearing knives, you'll need protective leg equipment and hand guards. For protection, keep your free hand behind your back and never use it to hold a branch in position for shearing. Third, hand cutters should be carried with you at all times because inevitably you're going to need them. Much corrective shearing, especially for deformed tops, broken branches, uh, branch tips with dead foliage, so that red tipping that you see, that can all be done effectively with hand cutters. And you can get pouches to wear on your belt to carry them around with you if you'd rather not carry them in your pocket. The fourth one, the use of motor or battery-powered battery shearing machines with improved design. It's increased substantially recently, and this trend is likely going to continue. It can speed up the efficiency you have across your lot and create consistency as well. Top shearing is still usually done by a separate operation with hand pruners. And then finally, all the tools that you use in your lot need to be sanitized periodically. I would go as far as recommending that you sanitize between every few blocks of trees, but sanitizing between lots is effective as well. The reason we do this is to prevent carrying pests and disease from lot to lot. It's very important that you're using a sanitizer on your tools. All right, so that concludes the technical portion of our presentation. Now what I'd like to do is head into the discussion part. In your chat box, please provide your answers to the following questions. So much of this has to do with grower discussion, and that's how I like to encourage learning, is by having discussion between experienced growers. So I'm going to give you about four minutes to enter your answers into the chat box, and then we'll, I'll go back and read them and share them with the group. I see a few answers coming in through the chat box now, which is good, but if any of you are having trouble using the chat box, I can turn on your microphones to let you just talk to the group. I'll go through our participant list quickly and see if anyone's interested in addressing the group instead of typing in. It's a little bit easier to just chat. 
All right. Well, I'm not seeing anything else entered into the chat box, and I don't hear any unmuting. So I guess we must have covered some things. Um, Richard sending through a little bit of information. I'll just read it in case any of you are having trouble opening up your chat box. I know sometimes these webinars aren't as useful as just being in person, but we'll give it a try. Richard says, usually when I do an early thinning, removing inferior trees saves a lot of labor costs over time. Suggested to use power shears, hand clippers, and pole shears for the tops. And dependent on the size, from 45 seconds or less to a minute and a half is the time it takes him to shear. Uh, finally, he suggests to shear for shape when the trees are two to three feet high and don't bother the tops until they are excess of five feet. Okay, if there's no further questions or comments, that will conclude today's session. I'm just going to go back and show the next upcoming um, lessons. So we're doing an extra webinar in August on the 10th. That's also a Tuesday. And of course, this will be from noon to one. We're going to do a discussion on using the pest management guide, which will be launched through Perennia by that time. Then back to our regular schedule, August 25th, we're doing genetics and seed collection. September series is part one of a safety session. So that will be on a company safety program. And we'll have Al joining us from Forest Safety Society on that one. And then in October is going to be part two of our safety series, and we'll have Lori from Farm Safety Nova Scotia chatting to us about minding the gap. All right. Other than that, thank you for joining us today. We'll hope to see you on August 10th. Take care.